Welcome to the Project Iron Spirit Podcast. This is Tanner Owens with uh, my co-host Justin Andler. Yo, yo. We are back after our week vacation hiatus. Sabbatical. <laughs> so, it is 11 9 That's the date. We just, uh, <clears throat> we just held our presidential election last night. Bear with me, I'm a little, I got a little cold going on, if I sound weird or if I cough, sorry about that. We both do. Yeah. <laughs> I've been drinking Dayquil in a bottle for a week. We're going to call somebody about that, it's becoming an issue. <laughs> Praying about it. Alright, so, this is Product Iron Spirit Podcast, post-election edition. It's only fitting to do an election uh, edition tonight because we just found out that Donald J. Trump has been elected to the highest office in our nation. The Don. The ruler of the free world, Donald Trump. Wait, what? You're fired. <laughs> has it set in for you yet? Uh, it has. Um, I'm not going to lie. I actually stayed up last night and watched the entire thing. I was up till 3.30 in the morning. I just, I, I was wondering why you were sluggish today at work. I, I mean, was, <laughs> I think I was really enamored by how this whole thing played out. Um, because if you went into it, everybody knew that the polls did not look good for Donald Trump. And as you're watching it last night, early in the night, he wins Ohio heavily, very easily wins Ohio, which is a huge state. Um, and then Florida all of a sudden is really close, and they're saying, well, you know, Wade County. I think it was Wade County. They were Dade and Broward. Dade and Broward. That's it. Wade was in uh, Michigan. Um, you know, they're waiting for those votes to come in. They thought Hillary still had a chance, and Donald ends up taking Florida pretty early in the night. And it was just kind of like at that moment it hit me. This guy's got a chance. <laughs> right. And after that point, I was kind of glued. I, I just I was kind of like I I got to see how this plays out. I got to see is this actually going to happen? Is he going to pull this off? Um. You know, uh, I think, like I said in my video earlier, even if you were a Donald Trump supporter heavily, I think going into this election, uh, this election day this year, you have your doubts. Because um, like I said, everything you saw before that said, there's no way. It's just right. it's highly improbable. Um, but he pulled it off. And let's be honest, he won handedly. Mm-hmm. He didn't blow her out, but he won handedly. Uh, with the Electoral College. So I think, you know, I was kind of enamored by this whole thing. So um, last night I went to bed. It was kind of surreal that it had happened. You know, listening to his uh, acceptance speech. And uh, today, you know, as the day has gone on and everything else, I just, you know, just come to accept it. That that's what it is. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've been, you know, we've been, we've been in this now for over a year. And it's, it is hard to believe. Like, I mean, you knew that this was a possibility. But it's just so crazy that a guy that has zero military experience, zero political experience other than office politics, <laughs> is, which 
he was the uh, tyrant there, so yeah, doesn't have to worry about office politics too much. But oh man, it's it's just crazy. I'm in, I'm interested to see how it plays out, but yeah. and I am too. But here's the great thing about Donald Trump winning this election is you know we're taught as kids you can be anything you want to be and you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> and it hit me last night that as true as that can be, up until this point, that wasn't true if you wanted to be president. Right. You had to be a political staple. You had to be a military staple. You had to go one of those two routes to get this. And if you didn't go one of those two routes, this was not a, an option for you. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now it is. All of a sudden... You don't have to go that avenue to get to the president. Well, and I, I guess that's why I'm asking you, has it set in? Because all of a sudden, something that shouldn't be attainable for this man, he's achieved. Um, so you were talking earlier about, you know, you saw um, Florida was closed for a while, and all of a sudden he pulls out Florida. Ohio, when Ohio opened, it opened up with a lot of the um, Northeast votes. Yeah. So it looked like Hillary was running away with it. And then all of a sudden, the rural central Ohio would start coming in. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the map of Ohio when they were showing the counties, he won. The entire state was red, except Hamilton County. Cincinnati. Which Cincinnati was blue. And then maybe two counties in Cleveland. And Columbus was blue. So all the major cities were blue. All of... The rest of the state was the red. suburban um, and and uh, rural. So same thing with Wisconsin. Same thing yeah. with Michigan. Yeah, that that was same Pennsylvania, thing with Florida, really. Florida, Pennsylvania. So every single state that was the trend, right? Which is normally how it goes because inner cities vote Democrat. Um, and then, historically, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so not a lot of surprise, but the big surprises last night were Wisconsin and Michigan. Because those are two elections strong with Barack Obama, mm-hmm. traditionally blue states, yep. and Donald Trump says, I mean, it's funny, because he said this a year ago. He says, you know, they're like, how are you going to win the presidency? Because you have to have the path to 270 electoral votes. Yeah. And no one could figure out Donald Trump's path. He said, I'm going to win Florida, which he did. We're going to win Ohio. We're going to win North Carolina. We're going to win Wisconsin. We're going to win Michigan. We're going to win Pennsylvania. He did. Mm-hmm. And it was nuts to see. It's funny because the, 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 the major media networks are all like, this dude is has no shot. Like, I think New York Times gave him a 1% chance of winning last night. 538, which is a um, like a live, live blog, yeah. and they were just updating it every two minutes. Beginning of the night... Hillary Clinton had an 88% chance to win. By midnight, it had flipped, you know, 60% Donald Trump, and then it just kept going up and up and up. So, probably the biggest upset in our history, all right? So, what we just talked about was the rural votes. And I don't know if you've ever heard this term, Reagan Democrats. Mm -hmm. So, when Ronald Reagan, you know, because he's considered the last great Republican president. So, all of these... Guys that maybe are Democrats and they identify with some Republican values or vice versa. These Reagan Democrats were what Donald Trump was aiming for. So he energized the rural community and mostly the 
white working man, and they came out in record numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's what won him this election. Yeah, absolutely. Because those numbers were enough to offset the major population centers of, you know, a Cincinnati, a Columbus, a yeah. Cleveland, and then when you get to Michigan, a Detroit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee and Wisconsin, Miami and Florida. The rural votes were so overwhelming for him. That's the reason he won this election. Um, I mean, and really what he did is he hit the sweet spot in each of those states. He looked at those states and said, what do the majority of these people... Who, <coughs> first, first thing he has to do is, who is the majority in this state? Who do I need to be talking to? And when you're running a campaign like Donald Trump did, and we looked at the spending, we were talking about that today, me and you were, Hillary Clinton spent $550 million. Donald Trump spent $250 million. Yeah. He was using his own money. She was using other people's money. So he was very poignant in who he went after, how he did it, and where he spent his money. And what he did and what he managed to do is in the states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania is he found that soft spot. Who's hurting the most? Who's the biggest number of people hurting? How can I help them? In Pennsylvania, he went after the steelworkers. In West Virginia, he went after coal. In Kentucky, he went after coal. In Detroit, uh, Michigan, especially Detroit, which is notoriously Democrat, he did better than most Republican nominees ever do because he went straight after the manufacturing. Mm-hmm. He found the sweet spot in every one of those states, and all that go- comes down to his business IQ. He said, I know how to run business. I know how to get people jobs. Where are these people hurting? And he just right. blew that up. So... You know, from what what we're gathering here is that the blue collar workers are the ones that really pushed him over. That's ultimately what won him those key swing states. And you know, I was sitting here thinking about this: what should I do? What should I do? And my wife goes, "Did you hear about the evangelical vote?" And I'm like, "No," because I'm in the mainstream media. You know, that's all I hear really all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had found a stat that I think someone maybe shared, I don't know, or my mom might have told her about it, but, so I wrote it down here, because obviously I can't remember. The demographic that we're speaking of, which is evangelicals or Christians, people that identify themselves as Christians, um, and like I said, this was not on mainstream media. But this was the largest evangelical turnout in history. In the hi- ever. We've been electing people for a long time. This was the largest evangelical voter turnout in our history. Now, not only was this the largest evangelical turnout ever, but the results were heavily in Trump's favor. 81% Trump, 16% Clinton. That's also the largest margin for evangelical voters. So my first question for you tonight, what stance was the most important to Christians in their vote? Um, man, you know... Because there's got to be a reason for this. I think if I, had, if I had to put my finger on it, if I had to say this is probably what got the evangelicals fired up about this... <laughs> is you go into issues such as abortion, late-term abortion. You go into things such as, um, as sad as this to say, gay marriage. Uh, you go into things um, such as, uh, I had another one, um, 
but those types of issues there, I mean, those are the first that came to my mind. Those are issues that are highly disputed. And let's not say they're cut and dry within the church because they're really not these days. The church is, it has itself divided a, a lot on how it approaches and how it uh, um, per- perceives these issues. Um, I think abortion is pretty straightforward, but when it comes to the gay relationships and gay marriage and everything, I think a lot of the churches have become very divided on that. And I think to the point that they don't talk about it. But when you see the Democratic Party, you know, actively and aggressively pursuing the right for late-term abortions, the right for gays to, you know, get married and everything— you will see um, that that was probably a big issue for them. Um, <clears throat> the flip side of that coin is is if you're an evangelical and you believe in Jesus Christ, love your neighbor as yourself is your guiding principle, or it should be, if you're a true believer in Christ. And then you look at Donald Trump's campaign and how that went, and you're kind of like scratching your head. <laughs> so, And it really comes down to, okay... Um, <coughs> What can we what What are we willing to deal with? Yeah, and I think they were they made the decision that, all right, we're willing to take a chance that this whole thing with Donald Trump is kind of a uh, his his ploy. This is his, his this is how he's going to generate his atten- get attention and all that, and we're going to hope for the best when it comes to him. But this other stuff, it's on the horizon. It's become too real, too fast, and we're going to need to squash that. So I think the evangelical vote was not so much pro-Trump as it was anti-Hillary. I think it was, well, not even anti-Hillary. I think it was anti-Democrat more than anything. And I think that's why you saw the rallying cry um, from the evangelicals uh, this election. Yeah. Because our world is changing so fast right now. So I think that, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so... Um, but I'm pretty sure it's like 62% of the evangelicals identify as Republicans or independent-leaning Republicans. Mm-hmm. But still, that's that's 20% on top of those who identify that way. That's another 20% that voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. So there was something that got these this demographic fired up to go to the polls, you know? And I think... Just from what I see, and I'm speculating, but from what I've seen on social media and whatnot, abortion probably is the main one, um, especially that late-term abortion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I heard, <coughs> I didn't hear anything about this. I just heard a lot about how many white working class people voted for Trump. I didn't hear anything about evangelical votes. But I'm glad I got this stat because this stat gives me hope for America. And I read an article when I was putting this together, um, you know, because this is what I wanted to talk about. And then I was just like, kind of like you did in your video. Well, what now? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I was going with this, you know, Justin did his video. You guys need to check it out. Project Time Spirit Facebook page. Um, he talks about what's after the election. Um, where do we go from here? Well, I'm going to tell us tonight that I have hope for America. 
And like I said, Rick Warren uh, did an article. He talks about optimism, optimism for the future of our nation. <coughs> I'm going to break it down into five points. Um, number one, faith often grows in dark times. And we've talked about this, um, I believe, on a podcast when we did stress. Mm-hmm. Stress ignites our faith, and God uses stress to make us realize, hey, lean on me. When I am weak, he is strong. Exactly. So right now, from what I've been seeing today, <laughs> I've seen a lot of, I'm leaving, I'm scared to death, um, I'm scared for my children, I'm scared for my grandchildren. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of darkness for a lot of people because this was a very divisive campaign and election. And it was just ugly. Yeah. I mean, was, America was is ugly. divided. You know what I mean? Yeah, like was, I said, this is divisive. So God is using this, I, th- I think, right now. And I think our nation, you know, obviously not 100% of the people who are lost are going to look for what they should be looking for. But a lot of people are going to be asking themselves the, the hard questions, and they're going to realize that God's the only place to turn. You got anything to add to that before we go to number two? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. And um, one of the points I made, and I went off the Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And one of the points I made is, you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about is faithfulness. And one of the things I encourage people to do <coughs> post-election, and really, you know, this is something that apply your entire life, is always have faith in God. Have faith in the Christ, Jesus, who is the Lord of Lords and is the King of Kings. And the point I was making is, is it doesn't matter who's president of the United States. Jesus Christ always has been and always will be the king of the world yeah. and it's times like these where we get concerned about our leadership that we look for that higher power and I think you're right I think you know this darkness is definitely going to hopefully make people reach out for that higher power but the thing that concerns me is recently people haven't been turning to God they've been turning to violence Right. And we've seen that today. You know, there's a lot of protesting going on and all that. And as long as it stays civil and vocal, I'm fine with that. You know, you have a right to protest. That's that's fine. I don't see the point in it. I feel like it's wasted effort because it is what it is. But you know, you have a right to do that. But you know, as long as people <coughs> reach for the higher power rather than the violence, I think this is good. Right. But it's going to be an interesting. It's an interesting turning point. It's 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 a fork in the road, and we have two paths to walk. And it'll be interesting to see which which one our country takes. Yeah. And like I said, there's going to be some that find God, and some that simply don't, yeah. and they're lost, and they're going to rely on something else. For that. And, and the Bible tells us that's what people are going to do. Right. Exactly. But the point is, you know, sometimes stress is a way of Paul. Yep. And I think this is that's what this is, has to be. Okay, yep. absolutely. Number two, millennials are spiritually hungry, and this is actually according to Rick Warren, who's the pastor of a massive church. Um, he was saying he has like a hundred thousand 
when I say massive, it's a big church. He's got a hundred thousand members under the age of thirty. Yeah, under the age of thirty. So, um, you know, this is him talking about his personal experiences with millennials, but he's saying that he's hearing all the right questions, and <clears throat> this darkness is going to make them ask more questions, and. As a group, generally, millennials are spiritually hungry right now, even if they're not aware. I don't know why I'm saying they, because I'm in that category as well. Yes, so we. Are. Um, okay, number three. There are still millions of God-fearing Americans. Despite the view that church is dying, there's still millions of God-fearing Americans. And that's why when I started this five-point breakdown, I said this stat of the evangelical voters give me hope for America. Um, you can jump in and say anything when you want. I'm just going to kind of go down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, number four. Contrary to popular belief, more people are turning to faith as opposed to secularism. Um, like you said, you see a lot of protesting as opposed to people turning to God, which that doesn't necessarily mean that mm-hmm. they're secular. But like you said, violence... Probably doesn't mean that, yeah. um, and, and this is according to the Pew Research Center. So this is actually a study yeah. that they've done, and there's stats that there is going to be. So from they did this for like 2010 to 2050, there's going to be a hundred million new Christians. So it's a good number. Um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and I think we see this on a daily basis from what we do in our community with our small group. And the podcast and my videos and just, you know, I think me and you are very, um, whether we want to be or not, we tend to be very public figures. Like we have big networks and we talk and interact with a lot of people on a daily basis. And that's not tuning our own horn. That's just, that's just our, our jobs and the way we, you know, our lives have gone have kind of given us that path. And I think the more people I talk to that are millennials and everything, they look at me and they say, hey, you're that guy that does that, does the videos, or you're the guy that does that small group thing. Tell me about that. What's that all about? Like, I, I've always been interested. I'm just scared. I just don't really know anything. And it's amazing to me. There's this, you know, the harvest is out there. But it's going to take people like me and you, who have the faith already, to go out there and tell them, hey, come on. We're going to show you. We can show you the way. Right. We know. We know the truth, and that's that's the one of the things that was the reason why I started the small group. It's a reason why I made it a group and not an individual effort. Mm-hmm. That's the reason I pulled you in. It's because I know that there are these millennials out there that are hungry. They just need somebody to show them, to teach them, to give back to them. Uh, and that's easier done, in my mind, through individual connections through small groups than it will ever be done through a church. This guy, Rick Warren, is talking about having 100,000 millennials. And he said, I'm hearing the right questions. My question to that guy is, how do you reach 100,000 individuals? Everybody has individual needs. Everybody has individual questions that differ. And, you know, it's up to every single Christian in our age group to go out and try to help those people as individuals. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely out there. I, I, I 110% agree with that. Um, 
Christ isn't going to die. You know, when people say the church is dying, it just, it hasn't happened in history. Yeah. It won't happen. Empires have risen and fallen. Christianity has always remained. There's a reason for that. Yep. So the last point on this list, and I think it's the most important one, God's promise to hear our prayers still applies today. So with all the misconceptions like Justin was talking about, the church is dying, um, people are turning to secularism as opposed to faith at a higher rate now than ever, now more than ever. Well, that's not true. And the fact that God doesn't answer our prayers, that's not true. God hears our prayers. And like I said, his promise to hear them still applies today. And we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So, this kind of is going to segue us into this last point we're going to make about this post-election. The first place that we as Christians should turn um, is prayer. You know, when we consider our, the functioning of our government and its relationship to the church, um, it's modeled by Paul in First Timothy. And he's given instruction to Timothy. He says that we as believers must pray for all people. And he says for kings and all who are in high positions. Um, this seems straightforward, you know, like, oh, okay, so I need to pray for my leader. But we need to consider the context in First Timothy. The government at this time was far from sympathetic to Christianity. You know, yeah. it, it, um, they were widely persecuted. Yeah, Christians were. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is a pagan society. Um, uh, they were urged to, you know, forget about their religion because the king is um, Caesar is their god. Pretty much, Caesar is their god. Right. So. Uh, like I said, the government is not sympathetic towards Christianity. So this urge to pray for the person who's telling you not to pray, but you're going to pray for him. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. That seems hard to do. And even after knowing all this, Paul still urges him to submit and honor while praying for the government. So even though he's told to submit himself to the government, but he, he needs to pray for his leaders, pray for those kings in high positions. Um, even though he doesn't agree with what they do, what they're doing, who's in those high positions, it kind of is parallel. It, it parallels with today, right? Because a lot of the <laughs> over half of our population cannot stand the man who just got elected president. You know, um, but God tells us that you, you need to pray for him and you still need to be the best citizen of the, of the nation that you're in. You know, we talked about this at church for the past mm -hmm. month. Um, <coughs> and we actually did 
a 20 minute prayer for our leaders you know that was long um next still a little sore <laughs> so I think that's powerful um yeah, I mean that's a that's a point I made in my video too. I said there's three things that need to be done today, and the first thing I said was we must pray for our elected officials. Yeah. Pray. I said anytime somebody is put in a leadership role, it is important. Their duties are, as our leaders are important, and we should pray that they are fruitful in their leadership, that they are righteous in their leadership, <laughs> and that they lead those around them to prosperity. That's what we should pray for, you know? And, and look, if you don't like Donald Trump, you don't like Donald Trump, that's fine. But you still want Donald Trump to be a good president. You don't have to like everybody, but you have to love them and you have to pray for them. Yep. You know? So, yeah, definitely. And, you know, yeah, you're right. We talked about it in church for the last month, and, you know, those are some of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. Um, when it comes to this topic of yeah. uh, civic duty, um, being a member of, of a society, of, of, of living in a, in a country um, as a Christian. So, yeah. You know, and I understand that this whole election cycle, you know, it's going to, it's going to leave some marks. And those wounds are still fresh. But that's why we're doing this at this time, because I think if you guys are hearing this message, because I know I gave you the stat about evangelical voters, but I know that it's not that heavy on Trump's side, because I know plenty of Christian people that support Hillary. Mm -hmm. It's really not eighty-one sixteen. I don't believe that. That might have been the way the votes turned out, or the exit polling is just not completely accurate. Or like I said, they're not pro-Trump, <clears throat> they're just that anti-Hillary. But yeah, but that's the point I'm making. Yeah. There's still a lot of Christians out there that I do see supporting Hillary mm -hmm. because they just can't get past the hateful things that Trump said in his past, the things that he's done, you know, the allegations that came from numerous women. So it's understandable. Like I said, there's going to be some, some wounds that are still fresh. And it seems like Everything is going so fast and it doesn't have any regard for Christ in this church. You know, it's like America and the rest of the world are changing so quickly. You know, how how can the church keep up? But like we just talked about in, in Timothy and his situation, let's not think that, you know, Paul is living in the midst of a nice little Bible belt. <laughs> okay. This is the Roman Empire. It's progressive. It's pagan. Uh, it's definitely anti-Christian. You know, the decades that followed this writing to Timothy were dark. So in other words, if the priority at this time, or sorry, in that time was prayer, then it most certainly is today. Like, yep. you know, and I love this because as Christians... We have something concrete to look at in the Word. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, that's pretty similar to what we're going through. That's another passage from 1 Timothy. I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and uh, discipling. You know, um, and you cannot overstate the importance of reaching into your Bible in times like these. 
Yeah, we both did it today. I went one route, you went another, but we both went to the same source and got two completely different messages that are good messages. They're positive messages, inspiring messages, messages that will help heal, not not keep this you know, you know dividing. So that told me a lot about the Bible, the fact that I went to the book of Galatians and you went to 1 Timothy and we got the same concept from two completely different writings. Um, that says all you need to know about the word. Right. It's true. It's sound. It's um, you know everlasting and it's not going anywhere. So use it, you know. And I, that's one thing I've preached. I've preached to you guys in our small group. I I preach it in all my videos. Um, I encourage everybody to read it for themselves. You know, I haven't always been a Christian, and one of the biggest moments of my life where I realized that I really believed was when I read the Bible front to back and it, it just made sense to me yeah. Um, so yeah always use the word man always use the word especially in these times where you <clears throat> you're distraught you don't know exactly what path you need to walk I mean the answers are in there you just gotta look for them yep. so you know Paul goes a little further in this and we'll just read this and this is it uh, I'm gonna read First Timothy Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So Paul's telling you to pray, but he's also telling you, you know, what to pray for. Mm-hmm. Um, Pray for the leaders. Pray for the good ones and the bad ones. It doesn't matter what they are in your eyes, they're leaders. So pray for all the leaders. In our case, pray for the Republicans. Pray for the Democrats. Pray for the independents. Pray for old Gary. <laughs> um, you know, and we need to pray that we can live peacefully, quietly, godly, and dignified in every way. In order to do that, our leaders need to be sound. You know, the ability for us to live this way is because of our government here in America. We have freedoms and liberties, and with those freedoms come responsibility. Absolutely. So, I know this is tough, but you know what? We've, we've got to move on. The results are in. The people have spoken. Donald Trump is going to be our next president. And whether you like him or not, that's what's going on. Whether you like Hillary or not, she great, she gave a great message today in her yeah, conceding speech when she said, kind of what I just said, Donald Trump is going to be the president. We owe it to him to have an open mind. And we need to do everything in our power to make sure that he's successful because guess what in the end we're all in this together absolutely yeah. so we Donald Trump doesn't fall without the rest of us going down with him right that's the truth of this whole matter and you know that's the problem we've got to understand this and we that's why we need to turn to prayer we need to pray for him we need to pray for our country pray for all of our leaders not just our president pray for anybody in your county anybody in your township in your village 
in your state. Pray for all of our elected officials. Because like Justin just said, if they go down, we're going right down with them. Absolutely. And and, and that that's the discouraging thing I see is people wanting him to fail so they can say, I told you so. <laughs> well, he's going to take a lot of us down with him. So let's not hope for that. Yeah. And I like how in the first Timothy passage you just read, he talked about living a quiet life. And that was one of the things that I put in my message today. Um, one of the fruits of the Spirit Paul talks about in Galatians is peace. And in First Thessalonians, he also chapter four, he also says, you know, uh, desire to live a quiet life and to seek peace. Um, and I think that's the one thing we're not doing right now. We're not seeking peaceful resolution. We're seeking. Um, faction and anger and hate and you know until we change that we we accept this and find peace with this and start living quiet lives um it's gonna be painful it's gonna be a painful transition um so yeah definitely stay in prayer always be in prayer, um, always be in communication with God, whether it's through prayer in times of need or it's praise and, you know, when things are going well, always be in communi- communication with God, never stray. Um, if you feel like our, God's farther away than he usually is, you're the one that moved. God is ever-changing um, or never-changing, so um, seek him, find him, and, you know, let's do this. Let's get in this together. Let's dig dig, dig in and... And, you know, let's make America great again.